Welcome to the Voice of Truth radio show, and I'm your host, Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied weekly by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, a senator and a pastor bringing you the fusion of church and state. So, we're glad you're here with us today on the Voice of Truth radio show, where we'll be engaging in vigorous and robust discussions on culture, history, current events, all from a biblical perspective, right here on 103.9. And we are uh, excited to be here with you. By the way, if you want to contact us, way to reach us here at uh, Voice of Truth Radio Show is radiovoiceoftruth at gmail.com. Radiovoiceoftruth at gmail.com. So again, this is Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied weekly by uh, with uh, Pastor... Brian Loversey. Hey, it's Pastor, good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Folks can't see us, but we've officially got our headphones on. I feel like this is a real radio show now. <laughs> we we have we haven't headphones. had headphones yet. We have a stopwatch. <laughs> we I mean we're ready to go. I don't know what more we need. I think that uh, now we just need an audience. <laughs> <laughs> if people will listen, this is a radio show. Okay, now. so folks need to do their part, right? We will uh, we'll work on the content as best we can because that is our goal. Look, we talk about this uh, before every show. We want to bring uh, we want to bring information uh, from a biblical perspective and uh, uh, to help folks, hmm. Pastor, in in the Mid Ohio Valley, the uh, list listening audience, and uh, that's why we're here. That's and, what we want to do. That's our that's, heart, right? And that's really the, the the mode of Scripture too. That's the motivation of God giving us Scripture. The Bible tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. Mm. Well, how's it profitable? Well, for its teachings, its doctrine, its reproof, its correction, its instruction in righteousness. So these are all things that are part of Scripture. And we get to now look back in history and look at things that are happening today and see the imprint of Scripture on our culture and discuss how it is helpful to us, how it does give us clarity, how it does give us a path forward. Because we have a confused society today. If there's ever a time we need the light of Scripture, it's today. Yeah, and God isn't the author of confusion, so we know that uh, the confusion that we have today isn't of God, isn't from the Lord. So. Uh, the Lord brings clarity. The Lord brings peace. So, so, uh, and and one of the things that we're going to talk about, and I talked, I, I mentioned this in the introdu- introduction there, but uh, we'll be talking about culture. We'll be talking about current events. We'll be talking about how to look at these things. Uh, and we're going to talk today. We're going to do a segment today on on the election mm-hmm. and a, a biblical response to that. I'm going to shoot some questions to. To Pastor Leversey here, and uh, hey, th- that microphone. Uh, it, li- it, my microphone just <laughs> fell. Hold on. I don't know how it comes back on. Tim Dell, where are Tim? <laughs> Tim, we need help. All right, someone's going to hold the mic- microphone until we we'll do the next break. I said, I think. But uh, so anyway, let's let's go from let's let's just talk a little bit about uh, reaching back to our founding, Pastor, and uh, that's that's kind of my heartbeat. I, I think that. You know the chaos we have in our culture today. These, these, the, these, this balkanization of our culture to where it's all broken up into different factions, and we have little pockets I call it of chaos all over the country, and maybe not all over the country, but in enough places to where uh, folks are concerned. Hmm. Right? We have Antifa 
uh, just beating people up in yeah. the streets at these rallies, these Trump rallies, and it happened again over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's certainly not a Christian uh, pers- uh, Christian reaction to 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 your opponents mm-hmm. to beat them up, and and uh, certainly our side doesn't want to do that either. But uh, but we had we had a Christian beginning, and we talk about this a lot on the show. But our our country uh, was founded on on a Christian beginning, and I, I was reading some stuff just uh, through the week about uh, Benjamin Franklin, Pastor. You know, Franklin is is accused of being a deist by a lot of people. So mm-hmm. uh, what is a deist? A deist is basically somebody who believes, yeah, there's a God out there, and he winds the clock, and he just sit, lets the clock go and sits back and watches. He's not a personal God, right? Passive observer, basically. Yeah, and yeah. doesn't care about our personal needs and about our personal mm-hmm. life. Uh so, and maybe Franklin was that, but maybe not. Um, so, if you go back, let's just talk about a couple minutes on this. But the uh, the de- the delegates to the Constitution, by the way, parenthetically here, there were fifty six of them, and everybody says also about them, hey, they were deists too. We were founded by a bunch of deists, a bunch of materialists who. Believes that who believe that all we have is what you see. That's what a materialist hmm. is. Everything you see is all there is. There is no God. Here's the makeup of the of the fifty six signers of the Constitution. These fifty six men who met in Philadelphia. Twenty six were Episcopalian. By the way, I grew up Episcopalian. Episcopalians in those days were uh, very conservative, Reformed, Bible preaching, gospel preaching churches. Hmm. Uh, 11 Presbyterians, same thing about mm-hmm. Presbyterians. Seven were Congregationalists, same thing about them. Lutherans were two, two Dutch Reformed, two Methodists, two Quaker, two Roman Catholic, and so on. Uh, but uh, that's the makeup, hmm. that's the makeup of, of the signers of the, of the Constitution. And you know what's interesting about that is all of these men, regardless of how you want to label them, were people of faith. And as you were referencing... Yes. As you were referencing, um, you know, the, the aspect of, of trying to qualify what type of faith they were, this was the underlying thing, is they believed in God, and they believed that God wasn't... If they were labeled deists, they sure didn't act like, like you know, they were really believing in deism, because these were men that prayed to God for wisdom. And, and, the, and, and the aspect of prayer to God for wisdom, to speak into your heart, to speak into your life, to give you direction, means that God's involved directly in your life. You know, you don't pray to something yes. that's just wound a clock up and then step back from it. And so these men that were part of these delegations, they were active in their faith, they were active in prayer to God, and then that leached over into the documents that they penned. They were still calling out to God in those documents. They were still resting on the truth that he gave us in his word. These men believed that, and when they wrote their names at the bottom of these documents, they knew they would possibly die for believing that. Yes, and certainly that's true, the Declaration of, uh, of Independence. Mm. And another, another key point to make is that one-third of the signers of the DEC, the Declaration of Independence, and a fifth of the signers of the Constitution, it might be the other way around, but, but it's, it's roughly that, a third of the DEC and a fifth of the, the Constitution— uh, these men, these were young men. These were young men. Yeah. They were influenced by the Great Awakening, and they are also tutored by John Witherspoon, mm. who was a great theologian of the era, yeah. who 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 taught 
a, a large portion of our leaders of that era. He he essentially schooled theologically these the men of the of the uh, the revolution. So mm-hmm. here's Benjamin Franklin, this quote unquote deist. He said, "I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth." that God governs in the affairs of men. So hmm. there's the deism crashing to the ground right yeah. there. He said God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Hmm. That's good stuff. So then he says also, we have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, the Bible, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I also believe, he said, that without his concurring aid, God's aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Wow. That's what he believed. He Mm. was reflecting a culture that also believed the same thing. This is where he came out of. Mm. Uh, Then he said, finally, I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth, Prayers imploring, imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations. Congress, he's talking about, or he's talking about the, the Constitutional Convention that's about to start, be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. So wow. Benjamin Franklin, Pastor, asking for prayer hmm. every morning at, at the and, uh, Constitutional Convention. Yeah, I think it's important that we note this, too. It seemed that, uh, that our statesmen back then actually really knew the Bible. And knew how to apply it versus when we see a politician get up and try to use scripture today, and <laughs> they want to and they want to read from the Book of Palms and they <laughs> or job <laughs> and then, or job the Book of Job, and and they're trying to bring some kind of reference from scripture. It's just it's almost a mockery of scripture because they mm-hmm. show how detached they are. You know, some some scriptwriter threw something in there to try to appeal to a certain base, <laughs> right. and but here. This was, I, I mean, I'm a pastor. I couldn't give a more well-crafted explanation expositionally of those verses of Scripture than these statesmen did at that time in, in our nation's yeah, history. And, and it came out naturally, too. Mm-hmm. You talked about the awkwardness of today's politicians trying to use it. It, it just doesn't fit because when, when, you, uh, when you're trying to fake something— when you're trying to be phony about something you really don't know about, it always shows, doesn't it? Does. I mean, you know, you get up and, and preach every every Sunday at, at uh, Fellowship Baptist. Well, uh, you either know your stuff or you don't, and you do because I, I watched that. But but you know you know Scripture. You've you've had a lot of years in studying it. You grow grew up under your dad, and um, who was a pastor mm-hmm. also, right? So you know it or you don't. So we're going to segue real quick here into um, a principle. Let's talk about a principle. Uh, David Barton, who's a great, great, probably the best or most famous anyway, Christian historian in the country. Mm. He's out of uh, Dallas, Texas. I've been to his place down there a number of times. Uh, but he wrote, he wrote an article. Um, he wrote an article called The United States of Not America. And it's about uh, an issue that I don't want to go to the issue right now. Maybe we will another time. I just want to point out the principle he makes, the distinction he makes about the First Amendment, um, the part about religious freedom. The First Amendment, the, the founders 
made religious freedom number one because mm. if religious freedom dies, everything else dies. Mm. You can't have right. You can't have a culture that's, right. that's not that's not undergirded with principles that are found in 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 uh, scripture. Uh, or you'll have a culture mm-hmm. that's that's certainly not free. And and really, if you look at the history of of that, you you understand that our founding fathers knew it was important that the state should never have so much control over a people that God can no longer speak to them. Mm. And what we see happening in a lot of other uh, civilizations and societies throughout history and in modern day is when they get this this fervor in these these people groups of of pushing out God and having the state control them all all the words of God go away it becomes the state that that then harnesses the the people's resources and time and efforts and energies for their own devices instead of God giving us callings and then us using those callings for his glory and and that's that's the, the most beautiful thing about our country is that that right was preserved for the people of our nation so that we can hear from God and mm-hmm. his word. That's an excellent perspective. I, I love that. That's great. Um, he, here's how Barton starts his, his article. He said, here's a simple question. What is America's first protected, most important, and longest cherished political pro- protected right? Uh, sounds like a Jeopardy question. So, <laughs> all right, so what is it? What's the most, the first protected, most important, longest cherished, cherished uh, protected right? My first answer would be, well, it's uh, religious freedom. But there's a distinction here he's making. He said the the answer is the rights of religious conscience. Hmm. What my conscience is telling me according to my relationship with God. Um, there's a difference there. So if my conscience tells me I don't want to be involved in something or don't want to do something, uh, you've heard, Pastor, by the way, you've heard of conscientious objectors? Yes. These people say, look, I can't, I can't fight in a war, you know, and, and America has always, always recognized them. Um, the, uh, the, there's, there's different conscientious ex- objectors for different things, um, but uh, the but the the right of religious conscience. Let me give you a couple of uh, of quotes. No provision in our constitution ought to be dearer to man than that which protects the rights of conscience. Mm. So a lot of we've had some people get arrested rate, uh, lately for not wanting to be involved in a certain kind of wedding or that uh, that isn't a scriptural re- wedding between a man and a woman mm-hmm. and uh, these people get in trouble, a florist or a photographer or a baker and that's what Barton's talking about. My conscience tells me uh, what to, to do something contrary to what I'm being forced to do. The first amendment protects that. Yeah. And, and the Bible protects it, to be honest with you. The Bible uh, in Romans chapter number one really speaks to the importance of a God-endowed conscience on humanity. Mm-hmm. And the Bible even tells us that when we do not respond to the conscience that he's given to us, the recognition of nature being a creation of God, the recognition of needing to be thankful for what we have— because there, there's been this deity that has provided to us, God, from Scripture. Um, and when we do away with that conscience, when we suppress that conscience, when we turn that conscience over 
to sinfulness and iniquity, then then we run the risk of having a reprobate mind. And that idea of a reprobate mind is a mind that is an abject um, uh, separation uh, from God and his intention on creation. So th- this issue of conscience is vitally important even in Scripture. In fact, the Bible goes on to say there in Romans 1 that a lot of the sins that we're experiencing in our nation today are a direct result of not uh, paying attention to the conscience that God has given to us to look to him. Th- I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, um, and, and and that's America was created by people seeking refuge from from governments that were telling them to violate mm-hmm. their religious conscience. Let me just give you some numbers here. This is fascinating. So the, the pilgrims came to America in uh, 1620 and 1607 at Jamestown, and they were escaping the, the uh, oppressive government and persecution in England. So who came? 20,000 Puritans came in the 1630s. Uh, 1632... The Catholics fled to America, to Maryland. 1654, the Jews uh, came from uh, Portugal. Quakers came. Uh, Anabaptists came from Germany, Mm -hmm. 1683. And you can go on and on. Up to 400,000 persecuted uh, Protestants came from France in 1685. 400,000. You think of of France kind of a secular nation. but, But many, many came to America in the early days from France, even four hundred thousand who were who were seeking protection from uh, from a, uh, a an oppressive state. Yeah, and that's that is who we are. That is what our nation was built on: the right of religious conscience, mm-hmm. as defined by God, as given to us by God. Right? God created our conscience. Is that right? That's correct. And He created it for mankind to be able to look to Him. And ultimately to look to his word. Now, you know, we have to be, we have to make another distinction here too. Uh, conscience is different from, um, you know, just feelings that arise in our hearts and minds. You know, the Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you have a lot of people that say, well, I'm just listening to my heart. Well, conscience more is uh, that vestige of our creator leaving within us an appeal to look back to him again, to look to look at what he's created, to look at what his callings are, and that's going to drive us to Scripture ultimately. And we know, of course, as Christians, that we are to follow the Word of God. Now, what's neat about the United States of America is its very foundation and forming was by people of conscience who desired to seek his Word. That's why we're here. That's a great definition of conscience. Uh and, and, and it's, that's why it's important to have a clear conscience, right? right? Because if, if our conscience gets clouded or seared, then we can't make decisions that are biblical, and actually we'll make decisions that are that are unbiblical right. and, and against God's will. All right, so there's just a good uh, a good little foundation on uh, on Benjamin Franklin on the right of uh, the right of conscience. You have a right of religious conscience in the First Amendment, not just religious freedom, religious conscience. You're listening listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm Senator Mike Azinger with Pastor Brian Leversey. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. Your host, Senator Mike Azinger with you and accompanied by Pastor Brian Leversey. Fellowship Baptist Church in Vienna, coming to you from uh, Wood County. We talk 
uh, every show on uh, some some main themes, Pastor, culture. We talk history. We talk current events. We talked the last segment on history, on our Christian history. America is a Christian nation because Absolutely. we have a Christian history, and as long as we maintain that, right, we uh, we can call ourselves a Christian nation. I think there's some questions of whether we are uh, maintaining that in some areas, but uh, uh, God said, Psalm thirty three twelve, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the election in this segment, Pastor Leversey's uh, just going to kind of give us some biblical uh, perspective, some viewpoints on how do we re- how do we react to what's happening? There's, there's this is a this is a crazy time. This is unprecedented. So, mm-hmm. um, so how, how do we navigate all that's going on? What's a, what's a, a Christian's response to what's going on? Well, it's been crazy, and you know, you think of, it has? <clears throat> it's 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 just been difficult to. To really know how to sort through your emotions in this, and how to sort through your responses in it, um, and, and and this is different than than a lot of other elections, right? I mean, there's always winners and losers, and there's always people that are disappointed, and then people that are hopeful. And this has just kind of been the dynamic of American politics, and and this whole idea of a free society voting for who they want in office for for two hundred and some odd years now. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's just the way it's gone, but. We really, I think, see in this election, and, and I'd love to get you know your thoughts on this too, uh, Mike, but I, I really feel like this is more of a polarization of philosophies and ideals than, than, hmm. than I ever remember it being you know, in an election. I mean, we have always had the main <clears throat> kind of Christian concerns from a Christian standpoint. Right to life yeah. um, has been a huge thing. <clears throat> the moral fabric of our, of our culture with marriage yeah. has been a, a huge thing. And so these are always very polarizing you know, cultural distinctives when when we go to vote. But but there's even more here that that's insidious kind of in this election of this idea that our elections aren't even valid. Like like there mm. there's so much um I don't know, there's so much attack on the fabric of America that there's this feeling now and this perpetuation of information that we can't trust the system that we've come mm. to to trust for so many years in our voting process. And, you know, I've been asked by a lot of people, how do we sort through that? What's what's ha- really happening out there? What's not happening out there? Well, first of all, I, I would say this. We have to place our faith and trust in God more than in a president or more than uh, an election process. Mm. We know throughout history, talking about history again, that culture and empires and societies have been corrupt. They've been corrupt from the very beginning. It should not surprise anybody. <laughs> They're run by man. <laughs> They're run by mankind. Mankind runs them. Fallible mankind, yes. and and they are corrupt. Now that doesn't make it right. That doesn't mean that we should just lay back and not have have things to say about it or even take action uh, concerning it. But I want to point to an area of scripture that's really been working on my heart as I've been having these discussions. And it's from first uh, Timothy chapter six, verses 20 through 21. The apostle Paul's instructing a young preacher boy named uh, Timothy, mm. and he's trying to get him ready and prepared and, and functional in a pastorate uh, in an area that's corrupt with people who are corrupt. And he basically tells him that we're to avoid profane and vain babblings. Now, I think that that really aptly describes our media in many ways today. Right. There, you know, we have to understand this. We have to be wise as Christians. The media 
has made a lot of money and has been designed in, in a way today where it doesn't just report news, but it stirs up things. It, it, it really pushes agendas today. And, and that's something that is clearly seen. That's a fact. The media pushes agendas today. And in order to push those agendas, a lot of times they'll bring up things that really are profane, what the Bible would call are profane and vain babblings. A lot mm. of things that can't be substantiated, a lot of things that are twisted and rested to such a degree that they don't resemble the actual truth from which that information came. And it's all to try to twist people's minds and hearts in a certain direction. Now, if we're supposed to avoid that, obviously, in the church and in our preaching, we also need to recognize and avoid that in our culture as well. So my advice to a lot of Christians today is, spend very little time watching, <laughs> you know, what they would call news today. Maybe uh, none. Maybe none <laughs> would be good. You know, hey, uh, I, I, maybe you can speak to this too. I found that when I'm watching less news, I'm a happier person. Oh, my goodness. You know, it, uh, uh, what's the verse? I, was, I quoted to my son last or one of my family members, but uh, um, it, it'll come to me, but well, something who, whose mind has stayed on the what is it? It's oh, Isaiah. yes, uh, yes. Anyway, but it, but when you keep your mind, because I was all I was just I, just last night, man, I was just all bothered about stuff. Yeah, and I'll be thinking about things that I can't control that uh, bother me, and it's not even more than just election stuff. Yeah. So I thought, okay, how do you fix that? Well, God said, if you keep your mind on Him, you have perfect peace. Absolutely. And you know, uh, Philippians 4, 8 uh, really kind of piggybacks that thought. And it says, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if yeah. there be virtue, if there be praise, think on these yeah. things. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we need as Christians today. And and this election, okay, there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser. It, was it valid? Was it not valid? You know, I I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I'm not involved in it. To, I, yeah, I'll, that's that's more your your issue. But this, from a Christian perspective, this is the thing. Regardless of what happened in the election, I have to keep my mind stayed on the Lord. I have to I have to allow His peace to keep my heart and mind. Otherwise, it can go crazy. I mean, people are thinking crazy things right now. Sure, uh, and and you know, Pastor, uh, it's a cliche. If you, you know, sometimes sometimes we say it to to make ourselves look spiritual, but God is in control, and may, you know He'll do whatever He wants, and whatever He, he does is right yep. and good for His people. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we just have to we have to trust God, don't we? I mean, absolutely, legitimately, and and we're seeing that a time may be coming that we have to trust Him in ways that we've never really had to. We That's so what right. if we're putting the fire? Mm-hmm. How hard is our generation have it? And I'm I'm ahead of you in terms of generations, I think, but. But what kind of sacrifice have we really have 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 we had to go through what uh, the Christians in Hebrews eleven went through? Mm-hmm. Have we been sawn asunder, sawn asunder <laughs> lived in caves? Have we no? Mm-hmm. So uh, so you know it's 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 an honor an honor to be persecuted for the Lord, and maybe maybe that's what's coming. Well, the Bible even tells us that all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, mm-hmm. and. You know, that, that's going to be put to the test with us. In, in that verse I was referring to in, in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, it goes on to say not just to avoid profane and vain babblings, but this is the other thing I want to talk about regarding this election, is it also said to avoid science falsely so-called. Hmm. 
Mm. So we're to avoid profane and vain babblings, and we're to avoid fa- science falsely so-called. I, I can't think of another election, and, and maybe you can correct me because you've been around a lot more years than I have. <laughs> you know, you're that. What are you saying? I don't know. Um, but But I've never seen an election where science was so called upon to be followed almost as if it was a God. Uh-huh. Like I, I can't, I can't remember the number of times I've heard the phrase, follow the science, uh, follow yes. the science mm. and then have put on display before us the fact that science knows nothing. <laughs> you know, yeah. We don't know whether to do this yeah. or to do that. We're not certain if this is going to work or that's going to work. I mean, have you ever seen such utter confusion in your lifetime and then have that propped up under a whole phraseology of just follow the science. Hey, I know it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. I know what we're saying doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and, then, and then take that across you know, political pro- platforms for a little bit. Follow the science. Men aren't really men. Women aren't really women. Follow the science. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is what we need to do as far as medicine, and this is it. And everything's contradictory. And everything battles against itself. And it's all moving towards just an agenda that's out there. And this is obvious. You know, this isn't sitting in your basement with yarn and people's pictures on your walls and drawing weird conclusions. I mean, this, is, this isn't this is conspiracy theory stuff. This is what's happening in our culture today. We're being called upon to follow the science and to follow it wherever somebody's telling us it's leading us. And my Bible tells me, no, I need to avoid profane and vain babblings. I don't need to be caught up in things that are unverified, unsubstantiated, and let my mind go to seed on mm. things that are unsure. I need to keep it focused on the Word of God and His truth. And then I need to not be gullible to just because somebody has a PhD behind their name, say, I'm going to follow everything that they say because they call it science. You know, that's a, that's a, a great point and well put. And, uh, you know, and, and scientists today, do, do most scientists uh, come, have a, a biblical worldview? Do they are they Bible? You know, I went to a, an eye doctor a couple years ago, and uh, the eye doctor was talking about, to me about uh, uh, how my eye was made up, how our eyes are are made up, and there's behind our eyes. And I don't remember exactly how it is. There's a liquid that God put in there to for whatever reason for protection and so on. But uh, he was saying, well, what, one thing we could do. Is is take that out and replace it with water. It's an operation that they do, and I said, "Huh, really?" And uh, he said, "Yeah, actually, actually, uh, water is better than what was in there already." So this man is obviously coming from a an evolutionary worldview, a doctor who's looking at my eye and he knows better than God what to do with my eye. So I'm thinking, I don't want a guy who thinks he knows more about more than God working on my eye. I don't want scientists analyzing our culture and analyzing certain uh, certain p- pandemics or uh, certain uh, uh, man, you know, d- defining man and woman and male and female and and how we how we uh, understand sexuality. I don't want a scientist that uh, defines that outside of the laws of, of the Word of God. From an evolutionary worldview, that's that's a dangerous thing. Absolutely, and you know, in many ways, it takes us back to the dark ages because really, the pagans who uh, did not go after God were the ones who'd come up with all of this stuff that was very harmful for mankind. 
And you'll find a resurgence back to proper science when people got a hold of the Word of God and they saw the different things that were mentioned in Scripture. They saw how the world uh, was created and how it was actually a sphere and how, you know, it, it actually, the orbits and the planets worked. And a lot of the, the solid science that we have throughout history came when, when man's mind and heart was illuminated with God's Word again. The dark ages where people are, you know, uh, trying to, to bleed you to death to where, you know, uh, trying to fix your, your ailments. And, and all they had to do is look at Scripture and see that the life of of the flesh is in the blood. And that's how you know? George Washington died. And that's died, how George Washington died. So as we look to Scripture, I believe that's when we really progress in our science because how can you learn better than learning from the creator of all things? You know, so, uh, social Darwinism is uh, a reality that came about— Darwin's book uh, on evolution was published in 1859, and if you look at—he's uh, from Great Britain, but uh, of course it, it, it came to America just like lightning and just spread systemically throughout society and brought a philosophy called uh, social Darwinism, which means that the, the theory of evolution— is is infected every area of, of our culture. Hmm. If, if you look at at the law schools, I've been studying on uh, last couple of weeks reading a book. Uh, I brought it with me on uh, uh, William Blackstone, who wrote uh, Blackstone's commentaries. He's from England. Our whole our whole law system was based on Blackstone's commentaries, which are based on the common law, which are based on God's natural law from Romans 1 that you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. So here comes evolution, and it, it supplanted that. It removed uh, Blackstone's commentaries based on God's law and placed in its place uh, a law that with a, with a humanistic worldview, mm-hmm. man-centered worldview— that uh, that was based on Darwinism, and here here we have social Darwinism that tells us, Pastor, that uh, well, my my view is evolving. Our view can always be evolving. We can be changing our view. What's your view on transgenderism? Well, it used to be this, but it's evolved. So mm. if we say it's evolved, then we're good, right? Right. If we're righteous. Well, my view is evolving. Well, it might be evolving into uh, into uh, just plain ungodliness but it's a it's a it's amazing how the laws of uh of gravity don't evolve and it's amazing how the <laughs> laws of, you know I, I i'm still glad that uh an airplane can keep me in the air you know well, <laughs> uh, it's amazing how we'll take and we'll twist you know the things that are more philosophical in nature in order to give us an allowance to behave think and act any way that we want to but laws are there for a reason. God's laws are there for a reason because they're immutable. They're unchangeable. Yes. They govern the affairs of life. They govern the affairs of his creation. And, uh, scientific laws. The scientific laws that are proved, not theoretical scientific laws, but the proven laws of science, those do not change because God's creation was created in the laws of God to be immutable. And, and this is reflected to us in nature. This is reflected to us, really, in our hearts and in culture, too, because sure. we see how culture just blows up mm. whenever God's laws are removed. And they are, they are immutable. They can't be changed. And uh, that's what natural law is. If you talk about uh, the laws of nature and nature's God that, uh, that 
the phrase used in the Declaration of Independence. Those were phrases that were very uh, commonly known by mm-hmm. the by the founders in that founding era, because the the laws of nature, nature's God, is is simply the expression of God's will for us. God puts His law into our hearts and into the Word of God. We learn that and we obey it, and that's God's will for mm-hmm. us to obey His will whatever it may be. Uh, any last thoughts, and then we're, we're going to uh, take a break here, go into the uh, last segment, but any last thoughts on the election? You yeah, know, getting back to the election, you know, I think that um, we need to not allow ourselves to be so disappointed and discouraged that we stop being observant and wise. And while we might not appreciate all the things that happened in the election, whether good or bad, whether who got in or who didn't get in, I think we need to understand what's happening, maybe even in prophecy during this time in the United States of America. And uh, the concern I have as a pastor is this, you know, we see being highlighted right now a big pressure on the church, whether whether it be through this pandemic, whether it be through the views of those that are getting into office right now, of seeing church as a non-essential thing, as, as something that can be postponed, furloughed, pushed to the side, and a great insidious way to push the church to the side is to say, well, we care about people's lives and we don't want them to get sick. Well, I don't know a church out there that wants people to get sick. I don't know right. a church out there that isn't concerned for people's lives. But at some point, we have to be able to stand back and look and say, well, Scripture talks about a great falling away that's going to take place. Scripture talks about before the church is raptured um, that there's going to be a great falling away. That great falling away is an apostasy. That mm-hmm. means that... We may say we're Christians, but we're no longer engaging, acting, or behaving like Christians. We're living in apostasy. And one thing that I've seen through all of the current events that have happened over the last year is that as the church becomes marginalized, not just in the world, but in Christians' minds and hearts, as we feel as Christians, you know what? We don't have to meet together. You know what? I can be in my pajamas and watch church from home. Mm. You know what? God's really in my heart. He's not in a building. Now, now that's a true statement, but... Christians throughout history, throughout pandemics, throughout persecution, throughout all kinds of different things that were harmful to their lives, met together Mm. because you can't be a body if you're segmented up. You can't be a body if you're not connected, serving with each other, holding each other accountable, encouraging one another. Mm. So I would say in regards to the election, don't let the election eclipse what's going on perhaps even prophetically right now with the church. The church needs to be strong. If there's any time in in history in America, for sure, that the church needs to be gathering, meeting together, praying for its people, praying for the cities, praying for our nation, praying for the leaders, it's now. If there's any time that the world needs the church to come together and serve, it's now. And, uh, you know, just because there's going to be a great apostasy doesn't mean that the church you attend has to be one of those churches that goes into that apostasy. And my encouragement for believers everywhere is continue to be faithful to what we know, continue to be faithful to the Word of God, continue to be faithful to meet together as a church. And uh, the church has been under attack uh, just recently, uh, especially in California oh, yeah. and, and different mm-hmm. different states that are, are Fine. liberal. And I know many pastors that are in lawsuits yeah. right now with their cities where, you know, uh, strip joints can be opened up and uh, and because they're essential— but uh, they're going to close down the church and tell them they can't meet because they're not essential. And what a word, essential! That, that's such a uh, Orwellian term that you have. You have these government officials, these governors, and so on, saying, "Okay, you're essential and you're not essential." If I if I have a getting if I'm getting a 
paycheck. My job's essential, <laughs> right? Right. But but that goes back, and we're probably digressing way beyond where we need to here. But that goes back to I think some of the intentionality of what we're seeing develop. And we want to talk about evolution? Let's talk about the evolution of our government right now. Mm-hmm. It, I, I would call it the de-evolution. You know, we came about freedom, about freedom of religion, about freedom of expression, about freedom of of enjoying who God has made us and who God has created us to be. And now we have government deciding who's essential and not essential. We have government that wants people, wants people, seemingly wants people to be out of work so that they have to depend on the government. We have we have people in the Congress that have openly said, well, let's just pay people indefinitely to stay home. Well, what do they want out of that? They want to control us even more. They want us to know that we're not essential. They want us to know that we don't matter as much as they do, because what are they doing? They're going out and eating at restaurants. They're putting their kid in private schools while they're shutting down the public schools. Hmm. They're they're flying here, there, and everywhere to see their family when they're telling people you can't meet together for Christmas. I mean, this is unprecedented control of people. This is not what the intention of the United States of America was. Yeah, you know, uh, and we'll cl- we'll close her out here. Go on to the next segment here in a minute go to our break but uh, one thing I've noticed one thing I've learned study studying history and observing governments and so on but but uh, whenever there's a vacuum left by uh, by a car a nation turning carnal hmm. uh, working against God the government always fills that va- vacuum and the government is not as merciful as God is because it's run That's by right. a man. And man, man is uh, you know some people say, well, God, he's he's our that God of the Old Testament. He's a, no read the God of all the of the Old Testament. He was a very tender and loving right. God. And, grace, and, full uh, of grace. When he went into, he took the Israelites into the Promised Land. He wiped these cities out, but but he was wiping out wicked cities and giving the land to to the people he loved. But but uh, when when a nation becomes carnal and ungodly and and shifts and positions themselves pivots against god then it leaves it leaves a gap it leaves a vacuum that vacuum will be filled by a strong powerful authoritarian government that does not care about his people so that's a that's that's a a historical fact it happens in every culture where there's that vacuum Every time. There's man who wants to come in and take control. Every time. All right, so you're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm uh, Senator Mike Azinger with Pastor Brian Leversey. We'll be back right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. Mike Azinger with you. And I uh, got my buddy here, Pastor Brian Leversey. We're talking and talking and talking. We're having a great time It's this show. So we're going to do one last segment here. And, uh, you know, I, th- I thought we'd hit talk about uh, education for a while. Education. Mm-hmm. Everybody cares about education, especially, especially if you have kids. But even if you don't have kids, everybody cares about how our young people are educated, right. are educated what they're told, mm-hmm. what they're told to believe, right? Um to me, I think it's important to uh, to look at what kind of precedent we had in America in terms of our education. America is the greatest nation in the history of the world, maybe save Israel, mm. but uh, it, it's irrefutable. So how did that how did that happen? What did our what did we teach our young people at the beginning when they first came? Uh, when when the pilgrims first came in those, those early years of uh, of uh, 
colonization in America. What did they What did they learn? Well, here's a, here's a little excerpt from a book called The Bible, America's Source of Law and Liberty by Stephen McDowell. But uh, he says the Bible was the central text for early American education. John Locke observed in 1690 that children learned to read by following, quote, the ordinary road of Hornbook, Primer, Psalter, Testament, and Bible. So what were Hornbook, Primer, the New England Primer? Uh, I, I have a copy of that. I meant to bring it. I, could, I couldn't find the book. But uh, the Testament and the Bible. So what were Hornbooks? This is interesting, interesting, Pastor. Hornbooks uh, were the most widely used tool for teaching, reading in the 17th century America. A Hornbook was a flat piece of wood with a handle. Then a sheet of printed paper was attached and then covered with uh, like a, another sheet to protect it. So here's a typical hornbook. This is how our kids were educated way back when. A typical hornbook had the alphabet, the vowels, a list of syllables, the invocation of the Trinity, and the Lord's Prayer. All right. The New England Primer. This was uh, it's just a little book. Tried to find it, I couldn't find it. But um, so it was published in around 1690. Now listen to this: the New England Primer is how our kids were educated for 100 years. It sold three million copies in over uh, 150 years. So this and this is back when we had a much smaller population. So everybody used the New England Primer. This is how the alphabet was taught uh, in the New England uh, Primer. This is from a, a copy of the 1777 Primer. Uh, the letter A. So we'll just go A through H here, Pastor, and then I want you to, to uh, take it from there. The letter A. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Hmm. The letter B. Heaven to find, the Bible mind. The letter C. Christ crucified for sinner for sinners died. The letter D. The deluge drowned the earth around. What was the deluge? The deluge was the flood, right? Noah's Ark, the flood. And it teaches you two things there, that it was a deluge, there was a flood, and it was the earth around. It was a worldwide flood, not a local flood, (laughs) right? right. Okay, so we're teaching these kids here, when they're little, the letter E, Elijah hid by ravens fed. The letter F, the judgment made Felix afraid. The letter G, as runs the glass... Our life doth pass. And then lastly, letter H, my book and heart must never part. Book, capital B, Bible. How about that? Hmm. You know, it's amazing to me that back then at the founding of our nation, they knew how important it was to educate children about our God. Now, it's interesting as we came into the 21st century and liberal ideology began to want to separate God away from the public education system uh, and in other facets of life, the, the game plan of the strategy was this. They wanted to win the robes, and these were the robes that they wanted to win. They wanted to win the robes of the judicial system, and they wanted to win the robes of the clergy and they wanted to win the robes of education. Hmm. And liberal ideology knew that if they could win those battles, that they would set up a future generation that would be willing to forego anything about God in order to accept this science falsely so-called, the agendas that liberal ideology wanted to push. And uh, I think we see 
that that strategy has been very effective in setting our, our culture for where it is today. Mm. I mean, you would be hard-pressed to go into many public schools today and find even a Bible club, even though they can meet legally and they can meet right. readily as long as it's, you know, um, really kind of uh, pushed by, by student interaction. Um, you, you find that those are, are running less and less frequently. Um, you won't find really any curriculum, and I know this to be true because, you know, we homeschool our children and we use some hybrid programming where we do bring in some secular education and so on. But when we do that, we see very quickly that as the government looks at things, they're very picky about not allowing anything about God or any biblical references hmm. be addressed in that educational system. Now, that bothers me as a believer. That bothers me as a, as a dad. That sure. bothers me as a pastor. That our children, as we put them into these education systems, there's an active agenda to keep God out. Now, I'm glad for every Christian school teacher that we have out there in the public mm-hmm. arena. I'm glad for people who are taking a stand. I understand that, that we have Christian kids that are in the public education system, but I really, really am hard-pressed to find... A, a good reason that their education is going to be so much better without God. I, I just don't see that happening. And certainly, as you read from that book, this was a major pinning point for the foundation of our, our nation, was that our children were taught in their public education about the importance of God and his word. You know, Pastor, I think you can see the fruits of much of the education system in the curriculum that has been taught the mm. last 50 years in the streets yeah. uh, recently uh, with with uh, our kids getting getting uh, you know fooled by by these these uh, ideologies like yeah. uh, that that bring them into black lives matter and antifa these marxist groups marxism is is an anti-god ungodly theology mm-hmm. that was responsible for tens of millions of people dying, brutal, awful deaths in the As 20th century. a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so we see the fruit of the behavior of removing God from the public education system and what we see today. When we see whole cities being taken over mm-hmm. um, through riotous living and riotous behavior, this is a direct result of what we've been educating our kids for, you know, 30, 40 years now. Mm-hmm. Um and we have nobody to blame but us. And, and I, w- I would say this, the most, the most important elections that are happening in our nation right now aren't the presidential elections or the elections of Congress or the elections of the Senate. It's the school boards, mm. you know, because that's really where the battlegrounds have been fought for, for a couple generations now is at these school boards. The people we're electing to our school boards, the people who are deciding what curriculums are being used. The people are deciding what agendas are being pushed to our children, how they're being developed, what they're being taught to think or accept. Mm. That's really where the battleground has been. For and I think that I think that Christians and even conservatives have have overlooked that. I I know I have. I I just had never really cared much about mm. those races because they're 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 just small and local, and they don't seem to really matter much. And they they matter just immensely. Yes, because. What is taught in the classroom means everything. Lincoln said, mm. "You know, give me the curriculum of the classroom, and I'll, I'll control, I'll control the next generation." And that's true. What we teach our kids is is what we're gonna we're gonna see the fruit of that. Mm. So in the 1960s, we said, "Well, we're gonna take 
the Bible out of school. Then we're going to, the 1962, then 63, well, we're going to take prayer out of school. And we're just going to have a bunch of, a bunch of nice, sweet, humanist uh, puppets. But we've done the same and look thing. What we've done the same thing in church. Honestly, we have. We've done the same thing in church. We've taken God out of the Sunday school. We've taken Him mm. out of the. Why do you say that? Because I've never heard anybody. I've never. The heard reason that. why I say that is because in our homes, a lot of times we prioritize the secular activities above faithfulness to hearing from God's word. First of all. So, you know, as a parent, boy, I'm glad when my kid can play sports, and I'm glad when they can be on this team, and I'm glad when they can be part of this group, and I'm glad that they can be socialized. And, and there's a healthy aspect of development to that, no doubt about it. But we prioritize that many times as parents and as churches to such a degree that we have made an almost anemic presence in their life as far as the importance of being saturated in the Word of God and mm. being taught His principles. Another reason why I would say that is because we feel like we have to compete with the world in the church. So we've turned into more of an entertainment organization yes. than we have really somebody who's going to dig deep with our kids. And, you know, the thing I challenge our pastors in, the thing that I challenge our children's workers in is our children are smart. They can they can handle it. Hmm. Give them the word of God. <laughs> right. You know, teach them some things that they can grab onto that are going to help to mold them and to have an effect in their life. But we've really abdicated that even in the church today. And, and, and it's sad, you know. If there's anywhere they should learn about God, our children should be taught about God, it should be at the church house. And, and they make there's always the joke about the uh, the youth the youth. Uh, a pastor who all these crazy games they do they're just <laughs> right. silly and, and and ridiculous but they don't teach the word of god yeah. uh, and uh, that's that's what our kids need and i think mm-hmm. that some of that is just a lack of confidence in the word of god that's to right. do its own power that's right right preach the word and and uh, so isn't that funny the devil knows the power of the Word of God, and that's the reason he wanted to remove it from the schools, and that's why there's an agenda sure. to remove it from the schools, because he knows the power. He knows that will change a whole nation if children are taught about God. Mm. But it's the opposite is true in the church. We don't have enough confidence in the Word of God to keep it around. We think right. we have to bring the world mechanisms yeah. into it. We think we attract them by by uh, fun games and, right. and uh, a hip a hip uh, youth pastor or whatever, but, but what changes lives is the Word of God, and that's why um, uh, you know, we, we passed a bill in, in the West Virginia legislature last year to to establish um, a a framework and a set of rules, and letting every county know mm. that they can teach the Bible mm. in the classes in in every county in West Virginia. Was that easy to pass? That was very difficult to pass. Mm. It took uh, it took us three years. It was wow. actually um, it was actually my bill. There's a guy in California. A professor out there, a Christian professor at a secular university, hmm. who who is behind all this, and it's happening in different states. I saw it pass in seventeen two thousand seventeen in Kentucky, hmm. and I called the uh, representative down there, and I said, "You know what's it, you guys? It was it was uh, it made a lot of press back in seventeen, and uh, so I got hooked up with the professor. First year I ran it, it just crashed and burned in a horrible way. It was awful." The second year, we didn't really run it much for different reasons. And then the third year, man, it was like God. It was God, Pastor, that who guided that thing through because mm. I did not have the confidence. Now, the the professor in California, he had way more faith than I did. Mm. He flew out here from California, and uh, he speaks in front of presidents. He speaks all over the world. This guy's a player. I mean, he's mm. really humble, loves God. 
But he flew out here. He said, "We got to jump on this." I'm thinking, okay, I've I've seen what happened the last two years. This is, this thing's not gonna it's not gonna make it. But well, shows the and battle it did. that's there. It shows it's the, the battle. battle. There's there's a, it is a spiritual battle. Mm. It is a spiritual battle. That's just if you don't believe in God. Try running a Bible bill through a legislature. <laughs> like You'll see that not only is there a God, there is a devil, and he's very yeah. alive. But but uh, the passion that this pa- this professor had is to get the Bible back in schools, have children taught the Word of God. Hmm. What if they lo- What if what if kids learn the Ten Commandments? That's awful, isn't it? Right? What if they learned Genesis? What if they were? What if they learned that they were created by a God who loves them yeah. and has a purpose for them? How horrible! Wonder if that would have an effect on school shootings or on bullying yeah. or on uh, on these kids that that feel like they have no purpose or meaning or don't belong anywhere. Would that help that Amen. to know that they have a God who loves them, who created them, who has a purpose for them? And who never leaves them. Hey, you want to talk about essential? That's essential. That's essential. And that's an awesome way to finish the segment. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio. We're done for the day. God bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in. And again, if you want to get hold of us, radio voice of truth at gmail.com. And uh, I'm Senator Mike Asinger. Thanks again, Pastor Leversey, for joining me. It's been Always an honor. a great time. We'll do Absolutely. it again next week. Amen. Have a great day. I will choose.